Blog Talk Radio. The idiocy of the war on drugs is bankrupting our states, bankrupting our cities, destroying our inner, our, our inner cities, our inner city culture. In fact, we're investing a fortune in training young black men on prison culture that they then return to cities to bring into the inner city. So I guess if you're in the, into the idea of investing a small fortune in rotting your country from its core, then sure, throw drug addicts in jail. But if you actually rational understand that drug abuse is a public health problem, Problem, not a criminal problem, then you would eliminate the incarceration for drug addicts immediately. My mother was smoking. She smoked her whole life. She was addicted to nicotine. She started when she was 16 years old, which was 1948. But by the time 1964 came, the Surgeon General's report came out, and she was in her mid-30s, she knew that smoking was bad for you. And I tell you, I watched her as a kid growing up. She tried everything she could to quit. She has the gum, the patches, hypnosis. She tried everything. She couldn't quit. Now, when she turned 71, a little after that, she was diagnosed with lung cancer. No one came to me and said, don't treat her because she got what she deserved. We know the lung cancer was caused by the smoking. We know it was. But no one came to me and said, hey, listen, your mother was dumb. She started smoking when she was 16. Then after we told her it was bad for her, she kept doing it. So we're not going to give her chemotherapy. We're not going to give her radiation. We're not going to give her any of that stuff. You know why? Because she's getting what she deserves. No one said that. No one said that about someone who had cancer. Yet somehow, if it's heroin or cocaine or alcohol, we say, well, they decided they're getting what they deserve. I'm pro-life. And I think that if you're pro-life, that means you've got to be pro-life for the whole life, not just for the nine months you're in the womb. Right? It's easy. It's easy to be pro-life for the nine months you're in the womb. They haven't done anything to disappoint us yet. Right? They're perfect in there. But when they get out, that's when it gets tough. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Make no mistake about it, 2017 kicks off with the bang. Folks, hang on to your seats. AJC Radio kicks off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart and the entire AJC radio team. And I'll tell you what, tonight we have a humdinger joining us in studio live tonight, a young lady by the name of Stephanie King. And I'll tell you what, folks, you better buckle in for a good show because this is going to be informative in a way you probably have not begun to understand. And she comes from the Shores Treatment Recovery Center. And I'll tell you what, making a difference. We're talking tonight about our criminal justice system exploiting those that fight the addiction, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, regardless of what that addiction is, our criminal justice system is liable for a lot of injustice in this country. We're going to deal with those issues tonight, and uh, we're very happy uh, to have you here, Stephanie, and thank you for joining us tonight. 
Thank you, Lamont. I'm happy to be here. And we're looking forward to it. And Lisa Cliff, AJC Radio Team, welcome back as we get ready for 2017. Lisa, uh, delight to see you here tonight. Uh, <laughs> give us your thoughts as we get ready to kick off 2017. Well, Lamont, I am so excited to be back in studio. It's been a while since I've been here. And I'm looking forward to all the great things we're going to be doing this year and all the great people we're going to meet and the interviews we'll be doing. It's going to be an awesome year, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, looking forward to it, Lisa. We were talking prior to the show. Calls coming in already for Spotlight on Capitol Hill and members of Congress interested in sitting down with AJC as we uh, take that to another level as well. Absolutely. And uh, we're excited for the journey that lies ahead. And, folks, uh, again, tonight's going to be a good one as we deal with the issue of addiction, the disease of addiction, the injustice. And Stephanie, I'm not going to tell our story before. We're going to get into that momentarily. Uh, and right now in Colorado Springs, 20 degrees, mostly cloudy, uh, not too nice. It's been nice, though, the last few days, last couple of weeks. And uh, we're hoping for an improvement. L.A., 59 degrees and cloudy in our nation's capital, 48 and cloudy. It's definitely wintertime across this nation and we're excited uh again as we kick off this year lisa we've talked about a lot of things on this show and dealing with injustice ladies and gentlemen make no mistake about it ajc radio we will come out with a serious fight against injustice and uh we dedicate this show and every show that we have to the irp6 who are they dave zapolo demetrius harper david banks kendrick barnes clinton stewart and gary walker and tonight we kick off again what you didn't know about the RP6. We're going to be visiting the victims of our justice system, namely the RP6. That'll be later in the segment, what you didn't know. And Cliff, good to have you, and uh, hope everybody had a good holiday season and a good time to reflect on uh, the good things headed for AJC Radio in this country this year. Your yep. thoughts? Yep, absolutely. I mean, look forward to everything that's going to be going on this year. Holidays are over, so all the rigor remote and all the uh, – Hustle and bustle is over. Now it's time to get back to business. So happy to be here. Looking forward to what's going to happen this year. All right. And there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, you want to join in this conversation tonight. 319-527-6216. 319-527-6216. And uh, some current news we'll talk about now briefly uh, addressing the transition of power uh, in our country. A very... Uh, Different election this year, uh, challenges that face this nation, uh, and we are looking as of January 20th to the Trump administration uh, to hopefully institute some change in this country with a lot of hearts and a lot of people uh, wanting to see some differences in this country, uh, regardless of what side of the aisle that you may be on. Uh, one thing is definitely true, uh, change is coming to America, and we're going to be hopeful that that change uh, is, is, is very, very good. So we look forward to that. Uh, we're going to be getting into some of those discussions uh, this year. Uh, again, talking to members of Congress as well on the challenges that face this administration, that face our country, uh, and that face all of us. So those are issues that we'll definitely be uh, taking a look at uh, and paying a, a very uh, serious, uh, very serious attention to, rather. So we're going to be looking at that as well. Uh, a little bit that you may want to know um, uh, regarding the IRP-6, uh, there have been requests uh, that the, uh, to, to the President of the United States, President Barack Obama, we reach out and we speak to him tonight as well, uh, to grant clemency to the IRP-6. Six men wrongfully convicted, 
uh, and have now done, Lisa, I believe, four years. A little over about four and a half right now. Uh, four and a half years. July will make a five-year mark of injustice uh, that these men have languished in prison for a crime they did not commit. Uh, make no mistake about it. This year you will see the victim side of the IRP-6. We don't really talk about that as much. What is a victim? A victim is one who has suffered tremendous loss as a result of an injustice or act or actions that may have taken place. The IRP-6 IRP are no exception to that. We're going to deal with that. These are innocent men, good men who set out to embrace the entrepreneur spirit. And America looked back and said, we'd like to give you a thank you sale in federal prisons. We're going to address those issues uh, as we continue uh, to get ready to, to address all of these issues uh, that, we, that, that we're dealing with. And, Lisa, those are things we just have to clearly pay attention to as we go forward. Yes, yes, we have to look at those things. We, everyone doesn't look at that, and that's something that we have to make sure that we focus on and show the other side of things. Everyone doesn't know it. No, absolutely, and I think that's why uh, any platform that you have and any information that we're dealing with has to be uh, sent to the American people. And I'll tell you what, uh, Cliff, is, uh, you've been directly, uh, all of us really have been affected by the injustice that's happened here Uh, It speaks really to the importance of using the platform that we've been given to get the word out, the true word of the injustice that these men have suffered. Yes, because you you realize that uh, that this type of injustice, if it if it's if this isn't something that's, you know, squashed, quailed, whatever words you want to use, then it can apply to anybody. I mean, you're talking about a debt collection case that got criminalized. And this case, when you what the what the listening audience and the public have to understand is that when you have a case such as this, that this case can now be used as precedent to convict another person. So if you are found to be in debt, which is not a crime. Right. But if you're found to be in debt, now the federal government has a case that they can say because of the IRP six case, we can show that we can lock you up for it, too. So that is why I mean, if there's no other reason for you to get into the fight, just think about that. You could be in debt. And end up in federal prison, yeah. and it all goes back to because people do not lend their voice to the cause right. to say that you know, like uh, Martin Luther King said, that injustice that you know injustice is injustice. Anywhere it's at, it is injustice, and it needs to be fought. No, absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your seats, grab a beverage. We're getting ready to take off Mach One style here on AJC Radio as 2017 kicks off. Stephanie King. That's all I can say. She will tell her story on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call or just calls today. one 
529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Look, right now, uh, while you look at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught. And they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we, are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they've got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in, on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life based on what happened that night? That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Koch Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America. And it's time to do something. Talk about it. I've got to go home. Oh, come on, Carrie. We're going to a new place. She wants to go home, right? <laughs> Whoa. You okay to drive? Yeah, I'm sorry. You sure? Relax. What's a few beers? If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship.
And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to AJC Radio. Uh, Lamont Banks here with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and our special guest, Stephanie King. And we're going to get ready to get into conversation uh, in regards to what this show is about tonight. Uh, we do believe and feel that there has been an, an addiction problem in this country uh, dealing and really in our criminal justice system causing a major issue uh, that has, has caused us to, again, meeting Stephanie a few weeks, a couple of months ago, sitting down with uh, her. I'll tell you what, folks, this woman is serious about making a change and bringing really to the attention of the American people that addiction is a serious problem. And why then is our criminal justice system uh, being affected by this? And that's what we really want to go into tonight. And uh, we appreciate you actually joining us, Stephanie. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. And I'll give you the floor to talk a little bit uh, about what really motivated you here uh, and, and to get you in the position that you're now really helping people and getting them out of really the, the criminal justice system, which is not the place, apparently, uh, for those who are dealing with addiction problems. Absolutely. Thank you for having me here also, Lamont. Um, so I started doing this. I got involved um, from started out with personal experiences. I was married to um, an alcoholic, um, very, very amazing, nice person, would have given anyone the shirt off his back. He um, just a great guy. And um, his, due to some personal things that he went through in his life, his um, drinking started to really, really, really escalate. And um, he eventually... Uh, became terminal from his addiction to alcohol. He has end-stage liver failure and um, esophageal varices. And something, when your liver starts to fail, something that happens is the ammonia toxins from the alcohol have to go somewhere. So they shoot up to the brain, which causes what everybody might know as wet brain. So he has severe, severe wet brain. Um, when he was in active addiction, he started to totally lose his, um, you know, memory. He didn't even at times were worse than others. Remember, you know, who our children were or things that we did together, like family vacations. And he wasn't able to, um, at that point, uh, build any new memories. And he just, he turned into a whole nother person and, um, after multiple, you know, blood transfusions and everything, long um, stints in the hospital, uh, nursing homes, because he couldn't take care of himself anymore. He got out of a nursing home after spending some time there. Um, I actually like to refer to it as a long-term care facility. And um, due to having the um, wet brain, he, he made some decisions, you know, um, that he wouldn't have made if his um, thinking was not, um, if his brain was functioning correctly. And because of the drinking and his liver had already been failed, the toxins were clouding his brain. And um, so he made some, you know, unfortunate decisions that he would have never made if he was mentally, you know, sure. stable. So um, he committed some crimes and um, he's, you know, doing prison now. He's um, sentenced to prison in his condition. He is 
terminally sick. His life expectancy is a year. Um, and the, I mean, the fact that they even let him stand trial when he can't even remember my name, who I am, what my, you know, relation was with him or our kids for that matter is kind of baffling to me. Well, and, and what it says here, Stephanie, symptoms of wet brain is confusion, uh, which often manifests uh, apathy to external surroundings and low voluntary verbal participation, uh, confabulation, telling of events that did not happen and believing them to be true, dementia, hallucination, visual, oral, and tactile, loss of control or over eye movements. Mm-hmm. He uh, experienced all of the above. So if you're experiencing that, now this is information that was given to the, of course, the prosecution. Mm-hmm. It was, and they proceeded anyway. I was shocked when they allowed him to stand trial. I was shocked. And he's terminally ill. And, and through our conversations, and we're going to get back into some of the other things, at sentencing, the, it was it the prosecution that asked that he not be sentenced to the length of time that he ended up getting because he was terminally ill? So what ended up happening is, um, you know, when Tim was asked, I spoke at his sentencing and I told the judge, you know, uh, what an amazing person he is. He's a sick person. He needs treatment. Right. And that's what I told the judge. And um, the, the DA, I spoke with the DA and the district attorney, surprisingly, was on agreed with me. And then the, the DA got up there and then Tim got up there and spoke and said, you know, I'm dying. I want to spend, you know, the rest of my time with my kids and be able to enjoy them. And the judge was not having it through the book at him. What did the judge say to that, to what was being asked? Did he have any empathy at all towards Tim? No, no. Um, He told him, he said, um, this is not a probation case. I'm not, you know, ordering you in a halfway house. He says, he said, point blank, this is a DOC case, the Department of Corrections case. So what I'm curious to know, Cliff, and I'd like you to chime in on this, is how do you give a man nine years over his life expectancy that's dying? How do you – how is that even – And might I add, he has been such an amazing asset to society. It's not like he's been – you know, he was a very successful business owner, you know, bought into car dealerships. Very, very, you know, big name out here when it comes to all his businesses. He helped everybody. He helped my sister, you know, with her daughter. He would have given, like I said, he would have given anybody the shirt off his back. And it's not like he, you know, I mean, he has a law degree. He has a master's. He's, you know, and they just, they, they just didn't care. Wow. Cliff, your thoughts on that. I mean, well, look, we're talking about, wow. I mean, when you look at the symptoms of wet brain. That this man had, Tim had. How does that? How does that even go to trial? This is obviously, you know, uh, a case where you know this is the result of substance abuse and then substance abuse that ends up with a terminal illness. How does this? get anywhere except for we need to send this man to rehab for treatment how how does this no matter what the crime was right it's like okay there is you're talking about a debilitating uh condition right that this that this you know this man is in and you take that and say okay now we're going to punish you for a crime it's like 
this person needs treatment. And we've seen it before, but I've never heard right. of a case where it's this obvious that this is a, I mean, how do you even call this a crime, really? No well, matter look, what it was, it's like, okay, I am not in a stable state of mind or a cognizant state no. of mind where I even know where I'm at. With the, where was the doctor that said, yes, this, this condition would cause a person to do something like this and not even realize well, where they're at or what they're doing. Well, Cliff and, and Stephanie, he's staying here. The confabulation symptom, telling of events that did not happen. He did that all the time. And he, believing them absolutely. to be true. And that's the key, Stephanie. He did believe them to be true. Believe them to not be true. Not because he didn't. It was he really thought that they were true. He really wow. did. And, and uh, at first, before I started doing my research, and I, it, it was freaking me out. I'm going to be honest. It really scared me. I was like, we didn't do that. What is he talking about? You know, and then it all started coming together and I did my research and I became very educated on it. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I was like, he is a very, very sick man. This is the clear actions of a criminal justice system that has lost her way. There is no feasible way and how a court can stand and do such a thing. It's uncomprehendable to me. One thing they do in courts from my as I share with you, my wrongful conviction. I learned a little bit about the law. Mm-hmm. But they ask you, when you, the first appearance before the judge, did you knowingly mm-hmm. and willingly mm-hmm. and admit that you were culpable, that they find you culpable of this act? Mm-hmm. That means without any influence of alcohol, medication, drugs, anything, how then can they turn around and say, well, we're just going to ignore that now. Mm-hmm. Th- these, this is, these are facts. Mm-hmm. This isn't a fairy tale or a story that we're just telling. Tim is dying with a life expectancy of a year. You have symptoms that this man suffered as a result of whether they're bad choices or not. He had a disease that needed help. He didn't honestly. I can honestly say, um, you know, he made the decisions. And um, he was not, he was, his brain was not functioning correctly. And it was all from, you know, the alcohol abuse. And he would have never, ever, ever, ever done that if he was in the right, if he was healthy. He would have never done that. Absolutely. Well, look, I'll tell you what, uh, this is troubling. Ladies and gentlemen, get in on the conversation tonight. 319-527-6216. 319-527-6216. Our discussion tonight, the exploitation, if you will, of our criminal justice system, really throwing addicts, those that suffer from addiction, not treating them, not getting them better, but throwing them behind a wall that we call prison. We're going to talk about some statistics on the other side of this break. How many people have taken their lives because there is no treatment in our in our prison system today for addicts you say well how do you know that lamont because i lived it there is no answer there is no treatment that is sufficient in tim's case the clock is against him we'll be right back this is ajc radio searching for answers
Ladies and gentlemen, we want to give a very special invitation to you tonight and every day thereafter. If you're struggling with addiction issues, the shortest treatment and recovery is the place to go. If you have any questions, dial 1-888-975-4105, or you can contact Stephanie King, the champion for those that fight this battle. Her number is 720-305-2621. You can go to www.theshoresrecovery.com. There is a way out. There is an answer. Let's do it together today. Let's just be honest. When we look across the street to the Supreme Court and we see equal justice under law, um, when you have drug laws so severely, disparately enforced against some groups, let's take African-Americans, for example, there's no difference between black and white marijuana usage or marijuana sales, in fact. But blacks are about 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it. Um, African-Americans are more likely to get uh, mandatory minimums, are more likely about 13, to get 13% longer sentences. And it's created these jagged disparities in incarceration. In my state, blacks are about 13, 14% of the population. They make up over 60% of the prison population. And remember, the overall majority of people we arrest in America are nonviolent offenders. Now you've got this, this disparity in the arrest, but that creates disparities that painfully fall all along the system. When you get arrested uh, for possession with intent to sell, do it in inner city, now you're within a school zone. So now you have faced an even higher mandatory minimum. Now you're 19 years old with a felony conviction, possession, intent to sell in a school zone. Forget even all that. If you just have a felony conviction for possession, what do you face now? Thousands of collateral consequences that will dog you for the rest of your life. You can't get a Pell Grant. You can't get business licenses. You can't get a job. You're hungry, can't get food stamps. Uh, you need a place to live, you can't even get public housing. And what that does is created within our country concentrated areas where you have massive levels of men being incarcerated. You create a caste system in which people feel like they, there's no way out. And we're not doing anything as a society like we know we could do because there's tons of pilot programs that show if you help people when they are coming back from a nonviolent offense, that their recidivism rates go dramatically down. If you don't help them, what happens is left with limited options, many people make a decision to go back into that world of, of narcotics sales. Uh, uh, what's more dangerous to society? Someone smoking marijuana in the privacy of their own home or somebody going 30 miles over the speed limit, racing down a road in, in a community? What is more dangerous to society? But yet that teenager who makes a mistake for doing things the last three presidents admitted to doing, now they have a felony conviction because it's more likely they're going to get caught. And for the rest of their life, they're 29, 39, 49, 59, they're still paying for a mistake they made as a teenager. Now, that's not the kind of society uh, that I believe in, nor is it fiscally responsible. Nor It's undermining their productivity, undermining their ability to take care of their family. This is so wrong that those conversations that I'm having with conservatives as well as uh, Democrats uh, are resonating. And so when you have people like Rand Paul standing up and talking about racial disparities in incarceration, this convergence in understanding uh, of fiscal conservatives, of Christian conservatives, of libertarians, shows me that this is a time of great hope for our country. 
And so I'm not going to question people's motives. This is one of those issues like the civil rights movement in the 1960s, which should pull all Americans together to say enough is enough. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we have been fortunate uh, to talk about a very troubling issue. And folks, you got to tune in tonight and really listen to what's going on in this country as we address issues dealing with addiction and the criminal justice system in America that has left us in shock. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, uh, feel free to dial in to the conversation, six, three, excuse me, 319 319- Five two seven six two one six. That's three one nine five two seven six two one six. And uh, we're very very appreciative tonight. We've been fortunate to be blessed uh, to have in studio tonight live with us Stephanie King uh, from the uh, Shores Treatment and Recovery uh, Centers and doing some things to try to right the wrongs of our system and to understand very clearly that how we're treating those that suffer from addiction, those that are medicated, those that are out here perhaps doing things that they not would normally do as a result of these addictions. Uh, we've been talking about Tim tonight, uh, Stephanie's ex-husband, who suffered some things. He's terminally ill. Uh, and I'll tell you what. No way on this earth should that case have ever been sent to a courtroom with his condition. He sits in prison tonight after being sentenced to 10 years with the full knowledge of the judge knowing, knowing that his life expectancy is one year. Did you hear what I just said? His life expectancy is one year. The judge had full knowledge of it and refuse to do the right thing. Tim has two children, eight and nine years old, who have suffered as a result of this injustice, who missed their dad. And I'll tell you what, when we lose the human side of our criminal justice system and we stop caring, we have tragedies that we're talking about tonight. And we're going to get further into that conversation. Um, And I'll tell you what, uh, Stephanie, we appreciate you being here. Um, and we're waiting for Cameron. She's going to be joining us on the, on the call, and we're going to bring her in right now. Give us one moment here. Okay, Cameron, thank you for joining us. Are you with us? Hi. Yes, hi. How are you? We're doing well, and Stephanie speaks so highly of you. And Stephanie, say hello. Hi, Cameron. Hello. Thank you for coming on so, and being here with us. Yes, absolutely. Thank, thank you for having me. Yeah, I was on the show tonight. Exactly. I was um, talking to everybody in regards to you are our judicial um, person that that is the shores. And I was telling them about what you do and everything. Absolutely. And Kevin, we're going to give you the floor right now to tell us as we've been talking to Stephanie. uh, It's been very informative to us. We were usually really uh, tonight in a state of shock. And I had talked to Stephanie prior 
uh, to this. And still, when she tells me that when she tells this story about Tim and the injustice here, apparently you see right. this injustice consistently. Tell the folks a little bit about yourself. What motivated you? What got you in this to make a difference? Talk to our listeners, if you will. I'm in recovery myself. Um, I was that girl. Sorry, I don't mean to get emotional. <laughs> I was okay. that girl that sat in jail and that nobody understood. Um, I was the girl that um, got locked away. They were going to throw away the key. And I was fortunate enough to have somebody come into the jail and interview me to see if I was appropriate for treatment versus jail. This was back in 2004. And thank God that they had started this diversion program down here in Florida. And I got to be a part of that that diversion program. And so with that, I went to treatment for a year instead of staying in jail. And upon completing treatment, I was able to have all of my charges dropped. I'm able to be a professional now today. And so I now work in the court system, and I fight for all of those men and women that were just like me. That's awesome. That's absolutely yeah. awesome. I'll I tell go you in and I, I interview them to see if they're appropriate for treatment, and then I get with their um, attorney, public defender, the state, and try to get them diverted into what we call a diversion program, which is drug court and or co-occurring court. That's awesome. Cameron, let me ask you a question. So let me make sure I heard you correctly. They were getting mm-hmm. ready to throw away the key on you. But for yes. one year of treatment, you became a spokesman for others, and they dropped the yes. charges. What is that? Yes. Okay, so I'm curious about something. Is there a reason that's not being modeled across this country right now in every courtroom in this that's country? exactly what I want to know. And it should be, and yes. I am so fortunate. The judge that made this ruling in my favor is now the judge that I work with today. And I have been on a panel with her for almost a decade now. And, you know, I have, thank God, found some really good people in the justice system that care, that educate themselves on addiction and mental illness and are out trying to implicate this all over. It needs to be all over. That's awesome. It's, it needs to be all over. And that's here in Colorado? No, it's in Florida. So Florida, no, you work with? In Florida. Okay, you work with the judge in Florida. What's her name? Yes. Judge Cox. Judge, judge Cox. Cynthia we, Cox. Cynthia Cox, if you're listening tonight, we salute you for your efforts. And that's what you need. You need to find judges and legislators. Have you guys talked to members of Congress about this issue? Because it is something that's very hot on Capitol Hill right now in dealing with criminal justice reform. What, are we, what can we do to stop mass incarceration? What can we do uh, to get these folks treatment, have them be contributing people of society just as you are? What steps are you taking there, whether it's the local legislation or the national legislation in Washington, to get the word out? Well, I know we've you know started with local, and then there are definitely people that are going national with it, and I am, you know, becoming a part of that just in this last year. Um, I'll tell you what also, you know, kind of has to happen is this has to start with our 
first responders. When they notice that when they're, like, uh, if a policeman is noticing when he's arresting somebody, there's an addiction or mental health issue. This isn't just a criminal. It, it starts there with that going into the reports. And then when that person, you know, it gets booked into the jail, what happens is, like, if they're with these diversion programs, they'll send somebody to interview that person for the program. And, yes, I want to see this all over the world. Do you know of any other states besides Florida that's incorporating this change? Yes, um, Ohio and New York for sure, because I work with both of those states closely. And New York, both of those states are actually saying, look, we we understand there's a problem, and it is a national pandemic. That's what it is. Uh, So other countries should uh, should definitely be involved with that. So, uh, Cameron, this is Cliff. Just a question for you. So, like in the state of Florida, and you say uh, New York and other places, so this now the de facto norm in uh, in court cases that, uh, you know, they don't really have to have, you know, a uh, a advocate uh, for those who may be addicts or, you know, a liaison or something. Is it just part of those those justice systems, those case, those uh, court systems? that this is taken into consideration or does there have to be an advocate there that, that has to, you know, put up a fight in front of the judge for these individuals? Well, in some, in some circuits it runs smoother than others. If everybody is trained properly and on board, it goes very smoothly. For instance, in the courts that I work in, you know, like I said, our first responders are trained. So before they even make it to a courtroom, we have a heads up and if it's an addiction or mental health issue. And, and, you know, there'll be somebody assigned to that person to help them get into a diversion program, which and it'll be their, uh, their attorney or public defender. But mm-hmm. I've, I've just seen in other circuits where they've just started this. So, um, basically, the person needs to ask for it and get assigned somebody that can advocate for them. But it's just getting that person to know and understand that it's even available. Right. Absolutely. So it's, it's apparently there's more training that needs to take place. You know. Um, well, I'm aware that. We, uh, go ahead, Cameron. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I just I I uh, work in a lot of different courtrooms, and it's amazing because I'll see. You know, the judge that I work with who really, really has educated herself and understands addiction and mental health, and then if I'm in a different courtroom for another reason, I'll notice that the judge absolutely just has no clue. And it's about everybody getting on board, everybody getting educated and understanding what truly is going to help, that you can't arrest this problem away. They need treatment. And you have to educate communities. Communities are not aware. Yes, that a lot of this is going on. We've had an opportunity to talk to Stephanie. Uh, AJC, Just Calls has an a initiative called Let's Talk, which gives an opportunity to talk, come in and talk to communities. Uh, we're going to be actually doing that in March, Stephanie. We've talked about that, uh, inviting judges, inviting prosecutors, inviting people in the community to say, look, we need to take a look at what's going on. You're going to be the perfect voice for that. Uh, stand by for more information on that. That's coming March Second Tuesday in March, we'll get back to you on the details of that. But what's mm-hmm. important about that is, as Cameron, as you just stated, the lack of knowledge and education that people have. They think people right. are just out here. You have the people out here that are just committing crimes. But you have to separate the people who are not 
in their right mind. Whether it's prescription drug addiction, whether it's illicit drugs, whether it's alcohol, whatever it might be that motivates these people uh, to can make some choices. You got same. You got people that are completely sober that make dumb decisions. And and something that I'm sure Cameron would agree with me on. A lot of our addicts that we work with. Um, you know, one are some of the best people that we know, and it's an honor to have them in our lives just as much as they say it is for them to have us. But a lot of it stems from an underlining disorder. Like a lot of them have endured some sort of traumatic experience in childhood or in life, and they are coping to numb those feelings by drinking or using because they had so much pain built up and so much trauma. No, I agree with that. And here's the problem. And again, we shared a little bit th- about this, uh, these statistics. 50% of sentenced federal prisoners as of September 30th, two years ago, the most recent date for which federal prince data are available, were serving time for drug offenses. Drug offenses. Uh, yep. Goes further to say 42% were serving time for public order offenses. Um, these are issues that are just happening if you're under the influence of any type of medic- medication. And, and I'll tell you something right now. Every addict that I've had the pleasure of working with who has um, been sentenced to prison or jail prior, um, they get out of jail and use. Not only, you know, do they, if they aren't using in prison, because unfortunately it is um, getting in our prisons and stuff, but they get out and they meet more people and and have more contacts and they leave prison and they're using if not more wow and and that's you know it's a revolving door it's a revolving door and you could save so much time money and heartache just treating the person just treating them camera you're the perfect example you went got treatment for one year and look at mm-hmm. what you're doing today to help other people. Now we need a Cameron in every state. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what it tells me is somebody took the time to give you treatment. And you, you became a productive citizen of society, not only to address your issues, but to help others She's address their lives. Yep. It doesn't get any more important than that. Listen to these numbers. In the dozen years since the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse released its first report on substance abuse among the nation's prison population, no progress has been made in reducing the numbers of inmates with substance abuse problems crowding the nation's prisons and jails. According to a new report, in fact, 65% of the nation's inmates meet certain medical criteria for substance abuse and addiction, but only 11% receive treatment from those addictions. How is that even possible? And then we want to cry about overcrowding in our prisons, mass incarceration. Well, guess what? Give some people some help. Treat these people who are addicts and quit throwing them in prison. We got the sad case with Tim, who is dying. Mm -hmm. He's going to leave his two kids Mm -hmm. because somebody decided, a judge, to play God. Cameron, right. if, you, if you wouldn't mind um, throwing your contact number out there just so that if somebody is going through something that, you know, Tim did go, that Tim's, you know, currently going through and dealing with and uh, they can right. contact 
you directly because uh, like I said, they, a lot of the times they just don't know where to start. And I feel like if you put your phone no, number out there. Absolutely. No, okay. absolutely. And I can be contacted and my name's Cameron Wadsworth and I'm the national judicial liaison for the Shores Treatment and Recovery. And I can be contacted at 772-940-8850. That's 772-940-8850. You know, I want to help in any way I can. You know, I, I, I was delivered and set free, and, and my mission in life is just to help other people find the freedom that I have. That's awesome. You're the best, Cameron. That's awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to chime in in this conversation tonight. 319-527-6216. That's 319-527-6216. Lisa, you had a comment? You know, Lamont, I was just sitting here listening to the ladies speak, and I'm thinking a lot of people, I think a lot of the problem is that people judge other people by their own yardstick. They measure you by their own yardstick. They look at the fact that, well, because they've taken uh, different medications and didn't get addicted because they drink and they don't have those issues. They don't want to look at other people and say that just because it didn't happen to me doesn't mean it can't happen to someone else. It doesn't mean that they don't have a real serious illness that needs, that needs treatment as opposed to incarceration. They're not looking at it that way. They look at it, Well, I drink, I get, I get a glass of wine every night or I get, I go out and drink and I do this and that, and I don't have those issues. You can't, and they'll, they'll take that and say, well, they're trying to use this as a way to get out of being uh, put in prison without looking at the fact that some, there are people that actually do have a serious problem, have a serious illness that needs to be addressed and treated as opposed to being locked up. Absolutely. Oh, that's a, well, that's that a, is where the, the people being educated on addiction, you know, there's also, and, and I could go deep into it and I won't, but the brain chemistry of an addict to somebody else is totally different and it's proven. And so there's people that are predispositioned and they don't even realize it. So just like you could maybe, you know, something could happen where you hurt yourself and you could take pain medication as where I can't, but I didn't know that going into my addiction. I had no idea. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we're going to get more into Tim's story. How many, the question is, how many Tims are behind the wall tonight? Breaks my heart even thinking about it. Absolutely. These are issues that we have to address. I was doing some research for this show, came across a former FBI agent who had battles with addiction and was quickly put in a position where his life was almost completely ruined. Uh, Cameron, we're going to play this clip. It's going to be a couple of minutes. We're going to come back, get your thoughts, Stephanie, get your thoughts on it and pick up this on the other side of this uh, clip. We're back with a cautionary tale of a staggering fall from grace, an FBI agent who became the very thing he was hunting, a drug offender, the heroine who busted others for proving too great a temptation for himself. He went spiraling into addiction and allowed so many he had a hand in arresting to go free. NBC national correspondent Kate Snow has his story. Matt Lowry always wanted to be in law enforcement, just like his dad. He kept seeing that I was in a uniform, so he, he went to his mama and asked her to make a little police uniform. He excelled in sports and school, graduated from the FBI Academy with the highest honor. Matt was living his dream, busting drug dealers, mainly for heroin. But one day last September, he disappeared. Day turned to night. 
I, I then get a call from one of the other agents. Bill, get to this location. They told me the location. Uh, it's Matt, and it doesn't look good. What goes through your mind? Matt's been shot. I mean, that's the only thing uh, that I'm thinking of is Matt is shot, and, and he's, they found him somewhere. He hadn't been shot, but the answer to what happened is in these evidence photos obtained by the Washington Post. Empty heroin baggies in his FBI vehicle. Evidence from cases he'd been working. Heroin was in front of me, you know, every every day. He'd first gotten hooked on prescription painkillers for a debilitating stomach problem, and when he could no longer get them, turned to heroin. It's a big leap, though, Matt, to go from thinking about heroin, being addicted to painkillers, and then stealing evidence bags. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something you know clicked in my head, and let me just take a little bit to starve off these withdrawals, and then I'll figure out later, you know, how am I going to uh, get through this? He used heroin daily for more than a year, even the day his son was born. Matt pleaded guilty to 64 counts, and 25 drug defendants were let go because he tampered with evidence in their cases. All the hard work, you know, working 12 hours a day on all these cases, you know, for months at a time, and then all of a sudden, you know, all these guys are released. And because of what you did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In court documents filed by the U.S. Attorney Wednesday, prosecutors said Matt Lowry was a special agent who took an oath, and instead of upholding it with honor, he disgraced himself and the FBI. Did you feel like you let your dad down? Uh, yeah, I let him down, let my coworkers down. Um, everybody who had, you know, an idea of what I, what they thought I was, it was completely wrong. He's been sober since that day in September with the support of his wife and family. He's spending all the time he can with his 16-month-old son, knowing he faces 7 to 10 years in prison. The hardest part, like I said, my, you know, being away from, especially from my son, is going to be the, the hardest part. He's a good dad, isn't he? He's a better father than I am. He's a wonderful father. He's a wonderful husband. Um, he is, he's a protector, but he couldn't protect himself. Sentencing is next week. Kate Snow, NBC News, Anne Arundel County, Maryland. Well, there you have it. Uh, one thing is very clear. Addiction has no status limitations. Doesn't discriminate, Lamont. At all. And when you hear that, rather than say, let's help this FBI agent, they said he was a disgrace to his, to his profession. I think we focused, Cliff, there on the wrong point. What brought this man to the point in his addiction to take evidence of drugs and use it? What? Nobody's addressing that. Oh, he's a disgrace to the force. Yeah, that, the, that is not the uh... point. That's not the point. That's not the problem. The issue is this man has, I mean, it, when, you, when you really think about it, everybody uses something to try to be their painkiller. I mean, you have those who use drugs, alcohol. You have, you know, people who are daredevils, uh, people who use religion. There is everybody uses something to say, I'm trying to get away from my pain. Some people, like Cameron mentioned, don't have the ability uh, to, you know, uh, 
for better or worse, temper it properly. And so when you when you have a situation like that, the thing to do is not to take this person and lock them in a cage like an animal. It's to get them to a place where they can get treatment. It, th- this this is totally sickening. I mean, yeah. you and and for a judge, for a person, uh, you know, like Stephanie said, with him to say, okay, he's standing before a judge. The judge has been told he has a, mel- a, a medical condition. He's standing there. He's yellow from John to saying that his liver is failing. And the judge still says, well, this isn't a probation case. This, this is a case for the Department of Corrections to deal with because you committed a crime. But what led to that crime? Where, where, yeah, where is the, you know, where's the sympathy? Where's anything from a human perspective to say, you know, I feel for this individual that uh, has a problem because of addiction. It, 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 it just, it really blows me away that a, a judge who's supposed to say, okay, what is best for this person in this situation? A, a person is supposed to be sent to prison for, uh, you know, to be rehabilitated from a, a mental perspective. You know, that's why they're incarcerated to say, maybe this will teach you a lesson well, that you'll come out and you'll do better and you won't do more bad things. But when a person needs physical and and mental rehabilitation, the place for them is not in no. prison. It's in a center with professionals that know how to help them. Well, I think, I think the problem is, Lisa, and I'm going to come to Lisa, came across a statistic. Lisa, share that with the listeners here. Yeah, it said that alcohol is implicated in the incarceration of more than half of all inmates in America, and illicit drugs are implicated in three-fourths of incarceration. So, And they wonder why our prisons are so overcrowded. overcrowded. That statement alone, three-fourths of the incarcerations in America, illicit drugs are implicated. Yes. Crazy. You know what? We've been talking about what is the mass incarceration. we got members on Capitol Hill of Congress saying we need to criminal justice reform. Well, i got one word for Congress. Treatment. Treatment. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> That's all. We're, am I right, Lisa? Absolutely. And you know what? I think when I was listening to Cliff speak, if we had just judges, they're not going to just look at the act that was committed. They're going to look at everything that led up to that. They're going to look at your state of mind when you did it. They're going to look at where you were mentally and physically. Where were you when you did this? Not just. Uh, it's not just a black and white issue. It's not just uh, right and wrong. It's not just a solid line. It's just if you do this, you go to prison. You've got to look at the whole situation and see what caused this, what led this person down this road. That's what a true just judge would do. But a lot of the judges we have, they don't care. They just yeah. want to lay out a black and white thing and say, hey, you committed this crime, you go to prison, that's it. But what led to it? You've got to be more concerned about the people and where they are where they were leading up to this point and what took them there to be able to judge justly and give a given, give a good, a good sentence and know exactly what you should be doing with these people when they need to be put in prison and when they don't need to be. Cameron, your thoughts on what you heard already. Yeah, I just, it, it still just comes down to like, I just, I can't say enough how grateful I am to work with a judge that is so passionate um, and I just wish all judges were, were the same as her. Um, it, it really, they've got to look at the whole picture. And for some people, you've got to bring it back to numbers. It will cost you less to get them treatment because they won't keep coming in and out and in and out and in and out 
paying to jail them every day. It would cost less. It's almost like you got to, you have to start wooing them from that perspective. How will it help their numbers? You know, and it is, they've, they've got to understand if you treat the disease, just like if you have diabetes, cancer, how do you, how do you go into remission through treatment? Mm -hmm. So in, in that, it's just where they have got to start educating themselves. They, they think it's only bad people do drugs. That's that mindset the stigma that's why our addicts don't like don't even like to reach out for help when you know before the problem becomes super super before they overdose and stuff they don't want to reach out for help because of the stigma nobody wants to be judged sure you don't like to be judged i don't you know nobody likes to be judged they're scared to ask for help well Well, and, and i was that person too that was really scared to ask for help i uh worked at a doctor's office i was um a nurse and became addicted through after many surgeries and through um, many pain pill prescriptions, you know, next thing I know I'm, I'm on the road to addiction and I didn't know how to ask for help. And I ended up, like I said, going to jail on felony charges for fraudulent prescriptions. And I just, I just thank God that, that he intervened and I was able to participate in this diversion program way back in 2004. No, absolutely. And according to the numbers that you're talking about here, according to the report, federal, state, and local governments spend $74 billion on incarceration, court proceedings, probation, and parole for adults mm-hmm. with these problems. Uh, but less than 1% of that amount, $632 million, was spent on prevention and treatment. Seventy-four. What's the do the math on that, Cliff? I mean, that is totally, is the, totally backward. That should be the other oh, way wow. around. You should spend right. barely anything on incarceration, and most of the money should be spent on rehabilitation. On rehabilitation. When you're saying there's eighty-five percent of the people that are incarcerated have either a some, uh, you know, some type of substance abuse problem. Why is most of the money spent on, okay, how can we make the prisons more secure? How can we uh, make more bunks to put more people in instead of saying how, instead of having 11% of the people uh, getting treatment that need it, how about get 99% of the people to get treatment that need it? Get, put in place, you know, programs and doctors in the, in the prison systems, federal and state, that says, okay, we can help people instead of spending, what did you say? Six, how many billion dollars? $74 billion. $74 billion all about keeping people locked up. And it's totally backwards. And here's the bad part about it. When you do it that way, you feel more body bags coming out of America's prisons. People die. Has anyone, anybody stopped to say, while you're worried about that, body bags get filled coming out of America's prisons. That is a disgrace to this country. And I'll quote Susan Foster, Vice President and Director of Policy Research and Analysis at the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse. States, she states that states complain mightily about their rising prison costs, yet they continue to hemorrhage public funds that could be saved if they provided treatment to inmates with alcohol and other drug problems and stepped-up use of drug courts and prosecutory drug treatment alternative programs. That's the answer. Yes. America's criminal justice system is hemorrhaging. And who suffers from it? Children. Families. 
mothers, fathers, you name it. And I know firsthand the effects that um, addiction has on the addicts, loved ones, and um, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. Well, I was living a nightmare. We're going to get into that story on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, call your friends, call your family. Tonight is a must-listen on AJC Radio as we address a very troubling issue. We're joined by Cameron and Stephanie King addressing what they do to fight this problem. We're going to get on the other side of this break the heartbreaking story of the children of Tim and Stephanie King who suffer as a result of this injustice. We're coming right back. Feel free to call in 319-527-6216. This is AJC Radio where we bring the message of justice all around the world. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of AJC Radio and a campaign that we have started that is underway entitled Spotlight on Capitol Hill. This program is new to AJC Radio, but it is an exciting time when we take a few moments every Thursday evening to highlight members of Congress, their initiatives that are not only important to them, their constituents, and the nation as a whole. We invite you every Thursday to tune in to AJC Radio to hear your congressman or your senator and their initiatives that are here to shape a nation and to bring about change. We invite you cordially, and as we fight for justice, as we seek justice daily, we'll come together as not only the American people. Join us every Thursday for Spotlight on Capitol Hill. God bless you, and as always... God bless America. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. That's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioral problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that 
Incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to give a very special invitation to you tonight and every day thereafter. If you're struggling with addiction issues, the shortest treatment and recovery is the place to go. If you have any questions, dial 1-888-975-4105, or you can contact Stephanie King, the champion for those that fight this battle. Her number is 720-305-2621. You can go to www.theshoresrecovery.com. There is a way out. There is an answer. Let's do it together today. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio where we bring the message of justice all around the world. We are grateful tonight that you've decided to tune in with us a little bit this evening as we kick off 2017 with a bang and search for justice. That battle starts over again this year, and I'll tell you what, we're not going to falter or fail at our search for justice. Tonight we're joined by Stephanie King, and and Cameron uh, is also joining us online uh, talking about they actually come from the Shores Treatment Recovery uh, organization, and I'll tell you what, they're doing some big things and some things that are changing lives and making a difference, and we're focusing on that tonight. Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us tonight as we have got into this conversation. I'll tell you what, it's been informative, and we're going to go another level, aren't we? Yes, we are. Okay, Cameron, thank you also for joining us as well. We have a caller, Cliff, I believe, in queue that has a question uh, before we get into that segment. We have... Uh, Gina on the line who uh, has a a comment and a question. Go ahead, Gina. You're live. Hi. Uh, Yes, I'm Gina from Colorado Springs, and and I was just calling. I've been listening to the show, and glad you guys are back on live. And to Cameron and Stephanie, I just think it's just awesome what you guys are doing. I'm very saddened by the story that I hear tonight and what's going on with um, you know, people with mental health issues and in the prison system. I just think it's awesome that you guys have pretty much dedicated your life for, um, you know, people who cannot speak for themselves, who need somebody in their corner, like what you guys are doing. I'm glad that this, this forum of this show where, where I wouldn't be aware of this type of thing going on if it wasn't for this show and, and, and the things that, that this group uh, does to, to reach out when it comes to injustices in America. But I, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, is there anything that you guys have on 
uh, on change.org or any petitions or or anything where you're you're getting the masses together and speaking to certain issues related to what we're talking what, what's being discussed tonight where I could actually sign and say I support this effort and, and I want to be a part of it something that I could do to help and that that's just my question and I thank you for taking my call Cameron do you want to answer this question yeah I will answer it um, Stephanie and I started working together uh, just over the last year, and so I have come out to Colorado already um, at one point, and her and I are, are talking about, you know, how how we're really going to come up against all this and, and, you know, and be a part of something bigger, make it bigger than just right in our own backyard. And so that's, that's something we're working towards. Um, but we will definitely, you know, let let people know and let the show know as that proceeds forward. Absolutely. And I'll look into this um, change.org because anything I could do to, you know, raise public awareness on the epidemic and what's going on, you know, I'm, I, I'll do it. That's so. awesome. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you what, camera, Cameron, excuse me. Uh, we're looking at, again, we talked about earlier about Let's Talk. Stephanie's going to be our guest speaker there. Uh, for the community event, Let's Talk, second Tuesday in March. Uh, we, get, we extend a personal invitation to you to be a part of that event. Uh, Stephanie will give you all the details on that. We'll definitely be in touch with you. Steph, I think it's an awesome idea uh, mm-hmm. to have her here for that event. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Cameron. Yeah, and I'm very, very open to that, and I would love to come out and join you guys, and I, I can absolutely do that. Well, we're looking forward to that. Again, you know, we're going to talk about that more. This is, this is awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, please feel free to dial in. Uh, and we we are so thankful for Regina. Thanks for the call. 319-527-6216. 319-527-6216. And right now we're going to go into the story, uh, Stephanie. We want to talk a little bit about how this ingests your kids with Tim's condition, with them. And, and, and I'll let you speak to it because it, this is something personal. Mm-hmm. And these are your children who I'm, su- I'm sure, without question, talking to you, a great deal of love and affection mm-hmm. for these kids. Tell us and tell our listeners why this is so important to be addressed. Because, look, Tim is not the only victim of this injustice. You're not the only victim. The people touched by Tim in his life, namely his two children, eight and nine years old, to deal with this, tell the folks about it. Um, one di- one way I have always addressed um, Tim's condition with our children is, you know, your daddy's sick. You know, we're going to, uh, you know, it, it started, I kids are really a lot smarter and pick up on a lot more than you think. And it was all brought to light when my daughter was in kindergarten and she was asked to draw a picture of her family. And she drew all of us and then she drew Tim and um, she colored him in yellow with a crayon. And she, she gave a presentation to the class, you know, showed everybody her picture and said, this is my mom, this is my brother, and um, this is me. And then she pointed to her dad and she said, this is my dad. And I colored him with a yellow crayon because he's yellow because he's sick. And so that really, 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 you know, um, hit me hard. I was like, dang, like kids are so much smarter and, you know, than you think. And um, so I started educating my kids and I, I've always told um, my children 
that your dad is sick and he suffers from the awful disease of addiction. And that's the way I address it with my kids. And, you know, as they got older, they, um, you know, had more questions. And, um, you know, every Christmas, I think it was three Christmases in a row, you know, Tim was in a long-term care facility and we would bring a Christmas tree to his hospital room and decorate it and kind of bring Christmas to him to make him feel more comfortable. And they didn't understand why the um, doctors and nurses were having them change out of their clothes into, you know, hospital gowns and stuff. So we just kind of, I made the best of it with them. And I, I, you can't lie to your kids. I, I believe you can't lie to your kids. You know, you have to be honest without, you know, they don't need every detail, certainly. So one thing I always did is I just said, you know, your daddy is sick. He suffers from the awful disease of addiction. And um, when Tim was picked up on his charges and, you know, I had to address that with my kids, you know, their, where their dad was. And, you know, my kids always affiliate um, a jail and prison and, and just like any kid, you know, that's where you go when you don't, you know, when you break the law and when, you know, and so they, you know, that kind of scared them that they didn't, you know, they didn't want anybody to think that way of their dad. So I just always told him, you know, you know, your dad would have never, ever done that if his, you know, thinking was clear and if his brain was functioning like, a, you know, normal. And, um, you know, I just always tell them, your dad's a great person. He has an awful, awful disease and it's the disease of addiction. And um, when they ask me questions, I answer their questions. And I mean, it's been heartbreaking. My daughter, you know, uh, something that's been really hard for me is she, you know, told one of her friends at her school, you know, that her dad wasn't because they asked her because her dad has never, Tim has never been uh, healthy enough to be at, you know, any sporting events, parent teacher conferences, anything. So everybody always asked me, the teachers, you know, their friends, parents, everybody, where's, where's their dad? Like, is he involved, you know? And, and as soon as you tell somebody, unfortunately, you know, um, he's sick, you know, he's an addict and, um, he's an alcoholic, you know, they automatically, you know, the stigma, <laughs> I don't even want to get started on the stigma because it just, it's, it's crazy, baffling and disturbing to me. But so I was hesitant to tell them for a while. And then I got more open about it. And I was like, yeah, he's very, very sick, you know, and Taylor would go to school and tell her friends that her dad was in jail. And, um, you know, they stopped being friends with her. They were like, oh, you know, you come from a bad family and this and this. And so that was really, that was hard. That's some of the thing, one of the things that really stands out as being hard, you know, and then, you know, why isn't my dad at my birthday party, you know? So it, you know, it's, it's been hard. So I know firsthand that the effects that addiction has on, you know, family members, it's, it's awful. It's very sad. So. And this was a, successful businessman tim he owns car dealership uh, car dealerships uh you talked earlier made people uh, average people come in and get behind what he was doing and became uh, he, successful he took a lot of people under his wing and made them all very 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 you know successful provided them with the tools and he you know worked his butt off to get where he got and uh very successful and i always say he lost everything for one thing so and as well so yeah, he yeah, left no. everything. And that's uh, make no mistake about it. Uh, and this is what tells you very, very clearly 
that addiction is a disease because no one who is successful in most cases you would think at least perception wise cliff that's making money that's that's training people coming up behind tim look we want to make you millionaires we want to make you successful we want to make you get the american dream if you will as they call it that tells you and i think the point you just made stephanie he lost everything for one thing mm-hmm. which was not worth it when you look back in retrospect cliff your thoughts on that yeah it's um you know you what what i look at is how the system deals with these people and you look and you say okay uh tim should have been given an opportunity to get treatment the judge should have done the right thing and uh put him in a in a program instead of incarcerating him but you look at the system ends up affecting not only him as an individual but then you have Stephanie, and now you have the children. Sure. And you look and you say, okay, if the system had done what it should have, you might still have a family that's together. You you definitely would no. have children that I mean the the worst thing in the world because kids can be cruel. They are yeah. they are oh, they yeah. are raw. They just they say what they know, no matter if it hurts or not. It's just they're kids. They haven't learned how to you know throttle back and uh, you know. Be real, you know, care, careful with what they say. But you know, I, I, I was listening to you say about your daughter that she went, told one of her friends that, yeah, my my dad is in, you know, he's in jail, he's locked up, and that, and then that friend, she no longer has that friend now. And I look back to say that the system mm. is to be blamed for all of that, because it's one thing if a kid says, you know, my my daddy's sick and he's in the hospital. He's at a rehab center, he's, but he's sure. getting help. When I go see him, he's getting better. Then, you know, a kid can say, oh, yeah, you know, my daddy's been sick before. or My mom's been True. sick, my little brother, my little sister. But instead, here's your daughter has to say, my, my dad's in jail. And then to get ostracized by other kids, uh, that, is, that is not fair. And a, a kid should not have to go through that. You know, it's sad that it happens. But, again, I look back at the system, that the system should have been there for Tim, as they should have been there for other people to say, this is not a case where incarceration is needed. This is a case where this person needs to be in treatment. Absolutely. And something else that I want our listeners, you know, to just, I just want our listeners to know, and I just want to put this out there is alcohol is a, is actually um, the deadliest substance to withdraw from. You need to be medically monitored and supervised. And I, in my heart, feel actually I I feel strong enough saying I know these addicts are scared to stop drinking because they at once they get so far into their addiction they have to drink to feel normal because if they just stop drinking and don't check into detox or a hospital emergency room or whatever if they withdraw from their own you have seizures you have hallucinations you have tremors there's so I mean, it's the most deadly substance to withdraw from. And in my heart, I know that Tim wanted to stop so many times, but he just couldn't. He got so far into his addiction of alcohol that he was drinking because he knew if he would stop that he would go into active withdrawal and have a seizure. And I can't even tell you how many times, I mean, I still, I hear, I have like these voices and these just sounds in my head. Whenever I hear a 
soda can open, you know, because he used to wake up at two o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, constantly throughout the night to drink a beer because he was scared to go into active withdrawal. So, you know, I just, it, it's just, it's sad. It's just a very, very sad situation. And I just want everybody listening to know that there is help out there. You can contact Cameron or myself and we will help you help yourself. No, absolutely. And another statistic. Yeah. Go ahead, Cameron. I'm sorry. And I'm glad Stephanie touched on that. A lot of people just think, well, why can't they just quit? They really just can't just quit. Exactly. I couldn't just quit. I mean, I literally felt like I was going to die and almost did. Um, One time I've lost many, many people to attempting to come off of substances on their own. And, and, and that's, that's what another thing people don't understand. Um, and, you know, you guys touched on it before. Nobody wakes up and says, you know what, I think I want to lose everything, lose, you know, have everybody lose respect for me, lose my home, lose my wife, lose my kids, be in prison. Nobody wakes up and just says, hey, I think I'll just sabotage my whole life. Sure. Well, that's true. And uh, this story I wanted to share, according to a survey of 267 prisoners by the commission, 70% of inmates who responded said they had been drinking when they committed the crime that put them away. Just under half of the female respondents, 46%, and 37% of male participants reported that drinking was a big problem. A survey by the Inspectorate of Prisons in 2012 found 60% of those entering prison with an alcohol problem left custody with their addiction not even being addressed. And it, and it just gets worse. It's when they get out, it just gets worse. So if you don't address the problem why they're in See, the, the, Cliff, you, you touched on this earlier. The Department of Corrections, they need to change the name. It's the Department <laughs> of Warehousing. Right. That's what it is. It's not, it's not correcting anything. And the statistics and the people on Capitol Hill, the members of Congress are saying, apparently mass incarceration does not work. It does not deter people from committing crimes. So what are you doing? Well, tonight I've been educated. The majority of people in prison are needing treatment and not incarceration. That's the bottom line, and that's something that has to be dealt with. Uh, And one point you touched on, Stephanie and Cameron, you made the point, people think, well, why don't you just quit? This is the definition of addiction, compulsive need for and use of a habit-forming substance. Uh, For example, heroin, nicotine, or alcohol, characterized by tolerance and by well-defined physiological symptoms upon withdrawal, broadly persistent compulsive use of a substance known by the by the user to be harmful they know it's harmful but what makes it an addiction they can't stop can't without it could be deadly it could be deadly to be medically monitored and supervised and in this case with tim it's deadly Mm -hmm. and see people have to understand there is there's a difference between a habit and addiction you can say well, I have a habit that, you know, every day, every morning I get up and it's my habit to go outside and run. Well, you can stop jogging at any time and there is no, uh, you know, yeah, you're, you're going to be in less shape when, if you do that. But with addiction, your body says, if I don't sure. get this, I am, I'm going to have symptoms. This chemical, without this chemical in my body, there are going to be 
serious reactions and repercussions from a physical perspective that your your organs are, you know, used to this substance and without them, it they start to uh, shut down. And you know that's why, like with the uh, with the opium epidemic that and the heroin epidemic, there are specific drugs that if if they don't get people on as they try to to come off of those harder drugs, that they their body will go into shock and they will they will die from not having the drug that's killing them. But it has to be it has to be a step down off of. You can't just say, okay, I'm going cold turkey off of. Uh, some of these substances, especially things like heroin and, and alcohol, your body will shut down yes, and say your body is chemically dependent on it. Exactly. Chemically dependent. And without it, it will shut down. That's yeah. why they need medical attention. They need facilities that say because what happens is you incarcerate this person that has an addiction and they don't get immediately put into a program. And then when they go into, uh, you know, into withdrawal in their sales and the, they the, die. Yeah. Uh, it happens all the time. I just read a story on it. Uh, heroin yep, it happens all the time. Yep. A thrown. She was picked up on a um, drug related charge thrown in a jail cell and she ended up um, dying in, in that holding cell. Yeah, because the the correction officers they don't they're not trained to say okay a person is going through uh, heroin withdrawal. All they know is okay, well they just give them person, a bottle of water and right. say you well, know yeah, it's like this person was high now they're coming down. They don't know what to do. Well, the difference is whenever there's someone that and this is listen very carefully to this point, when someone goes into prison or county jail really and they are suicidal, they are put on a 72 hour psych hold. They are psychologically evaluated that there's an issue here. They can't leave custody until they make sure this person is okay. Well, if the person is coming into custody under the influence of alcohol or drugs, why is that same, not, why is not the same precautions? Psychological evaluating. What can we do? Not pressing charges that ultimately sends these people to prison. Where is that at? That is a serious problem. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. And tonight we have been fortunate to be speaking with Cameron and Stephanie King of the Shores Treatment and Recovery. And a little bit of history on our guest. Stephanie has been involved with addiction and recovery for over 10 years. She is certified drug and alcohol interventionist. How am I saying that right? Interventionist. Interventionist. <laughs> Over the past 10 years, Stephanie has dedicated herself to helping addicts and has been successful in doing so. And I quote you, Stephanie, there was a calling placed on my life to help struggling addicts regain their lives after watching loved ones battle this disease for many years. Uh, today, Stephanie is working for one of the best treatment centers in the country, the Shores Treatment and Recovery. And I'll tell you what, add Cameron to the list of angels, if you will. She's an angel. Of those that are trying to bring help to those that are hurting. At AJC Radio, I'll tell you both, both of you ladies, you have a friend in AJC and a just cause as we will join together. And we intend to post on our website your information, the Shores Recovery Treatment. When people go out there, if they have an issue, if they're struggling, they're going to always know how to contact you folks. Because I see something, uh, Cliff, I'm sure you agree, Lisa, that these ladies are doing something that I'm telling you, when he talks about saving lives, I believe that's what's happening here. Absolutely. We need somebody out there who uh, is an advocate for these people who, I mean, I mean, they're at a, a point, even before they get incarcerated, that they 
they don't have a voice. They're standing in front of a judge that really doesn't understand the situation that they're going through. Sure. And, um, you know, they need somebody there that says, you know, I can explain your story. I, I can tell the judge, I can tell the system what's going on so we can get you the help that you need, not just lock you up in a cell for uh, 10 years. Well, that's unbelievable. Cameron, stay with us. I'm going to give you an opportunity on the other side of this break to give a final thought to our listeners uh, as we get ready to move into another segment here shortly. But we're going to be still be in discussion without question a little further about uh, uh, what you folks are doing, how we can help, how others can help, and how we can together make a difference in this critical uh, topic of discussion, dealing with, again, a criminal justice system. Every time we talk about the criminal justice system in America, we find another level of corruption, another level of not caring, another level of neglect if you will, that's contributing to the problems we face. This is AJC Radio, a very special salute to our guests for making a difference. We'll be right back in just a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to give a very special invitation to you tonight and every day thereafter. If you're struggling with addiction issues, the shortest treatment and recovery is the place to go. If you have any questions, dial 1-888-975-4105, or you can contact Stephanie King, the champion, for those that fight this battle. Her number is 720-305-2621. You can go to www.theshoresrecovery.com. There is a way out. There is an answer. Let's do it together today. I've been getting mixed messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitudes towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we extend a special invitation to you to join AJC Radio and our programming every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We will be addressing issues that definitely shape a nation and affect America's future. We will also be dealing with members of Congress shining the spotlight on our initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You don't want to miss it, folks. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, AJC Radio makes a difference across the We'll see you then. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 
873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight is no exception as we kick off 2017 with a bang and a definite situation dealing with a system that continues to fail. And that's our criminal justice system. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, the entire AJC Radio team, and our very special guest, Stephanie King from the Shores Treatment Recovery Organization, as well as Cameron. How do you pronounce her last name? Wadsworth. Wadsworth. Thank you so much for joining us. I didn't want to do any uh, injustice, if you will, uh, to that name. We're so so fortunate to have you ladies tonight. I'll tell you what, this has been an eye-opener. Cliff, Lisa, I'm sure you agree that has shook the core of this studio, and I'm sure our listeners around the world of what's going on within our criminal justice system as victims of a system that has failed. Lisa, your thoughts? I think it's I think it's terrible that our system is failing so many people. There's too many. I mean, when you look at the, the statistics on this, it just seems unreal that there are that many people that are sitting in prison that need treatment that are not getting it. I mean, and when you go to prison, you're still supposed to be afforded proper treatment and it's not happening it's just not happening for people i mean some of them shouldn't be there in the first place but if you end up there you should at least get the treatment that you need and i think it's awful that it's not happening for people no absolutely that's something that just cannot be tolerated cliff your closing thoughts on that yeah again you know my my uh biggest takeaway from this is looking at the system and seeing how uh nonchalant and just um cold the system is toward uh people who need help for um, you know, for their addictions and who who need actually rehabilitation, not incarceration, rehabilitation for a uh, for a serious problem that, you know, could land them in a cell. Uh, they start going into active withdrawal and end up, you know, the next day passing away. So I think the system definitely needs to be revamped. You know, I, uh, I commend uh, the two ladies, Stephanie and Cameron, for the work that you guys are doing, uh, for being advocates and voices for those who are uh, who don't have the opportunity. Well, who definitely need it. And uh, uh, Cameron, we're going to extend a special invitation to you as well. You know what? We can make it a complete party of information, if you will, uh, inviting uh, Judge Cox, I believe that's her name, uh, that you work with, out to Let's Talk as well. Uh, who knows? Uh, let's, yeah. let's, let's make this a forum and talk about. That's the only way we're going to get better. 
we have to get the people who are making a difference to talk about it. Yes. Let's, let's talk. So let's, we're going to be, again, getting in touch with you offline. Stephanie's going to fit in on all that good stuff. Get your closing thoughts, uh, Cameron, before we let you go on what you would like to say to our listeners. Uh, as, again, we will continue to be a support uh, for the Shores Treatment Recovery. And we will post something on our website uh, in relation to this show for people to contact uh, uh, your organization for what you folks are doing. Your closing thoughts to our listeners. I just want for, you know, the people that are addicted and for the families out there to know that there is help. I, I'm i excited about this show. It makes me want to kind of, you know, talk even more, yell even louder, you know, to help um, people. And you've definitely kind of lit a fire under me to get out of my box and and just continue to, to help all over in any way that I can. But um, there is help available. And no matter what you do or don't have, if you were to contact Stephanie or myself, we would definitely help you. Okay, and we're, de- we're definitely going to give the folks the opportunity. If I'm correct on the phone number uh, for Cameron, 772-940-8850. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, folks, if you want to reach Cameron, she is the judicial strength, if you will, that goes in courtrooms. Uh, I'd call it the lion's den <laughs> and uh, begins to get involved and, and bring some help. The number is 772-940-8850. Uh, give her a call, and uh, uh, if you need help, we want to give that help as well. And, uh, Cameron, we want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. We're going to let you loose and enjoy the rest of your evening. Uh, and we are so uh, thankful and privileged that you took time to call us. I look forward to hopefully meeting you in March for Let's Talk kickoff, and we're looking forward to hopefully meeting you in person. Okay, thank you for having me, and I will definitely be out in March. Okay. Thank we- you for everything you do, Cameron. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, Well, I'll tell you what. She said she has a fire lit under her feet to run and continue these these fights. And I'll tell you, Cliff, that's something encouraging to hear. uh, As, again, our whole objective is to find injustice and hopefully, in a way, try to fix it. And uh, we're grateful that that impact was made on Cameron tonight. We look forward again to meeting her. Steph, what would you say to our folks? You're going to be joining us throughout to the rest for the rest of the show. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get into shortly what you didn't know about the RP6. We've talked about that. Uh, but give, what would you like to say to the listeners out there in closing to the stories, and I'm sure it was tough for you, uh, sharing those personal moments uh, and some trying days I'm sure are ahead. It definitely yeah. is extremely hard sharing my personal um, story, even a small portion of it that I did. But if my story does help one other family or addict or, um, you know, anybody um, uh, even associated with the addict, then it, it's 110% worth it. And I know so. you wanted to share a little bit about some of the people that so, you actually deal with. Another thing that I think our listeners need to know and be aware of is that addiction, the disease of addiction, does not discriminate. Um, I have sent um, pro athletes to treatment. I have sent teachers, doctors, dentists, stay-at-home moms, um, correctional officers. I've sent you know police officers, firefighters, paramedics. It, it doesn't discriminate. I've worked with all of them, got them placed in treatment, and um, it it doesn't discriminate. And I know that the hardest thing to do is to take that first step, pick up that phone, and make that phone call. 
but and it, it needs to be done, although it's the hardest thing to do. That's that's the first step is just Absolutely. make that call. And, and Steph, you would tell us a little bit if you want to share that uh, with someone who is actually uh, responsible for protecting and keeping inmates safe in prison. Is it just goes to show, you know, that it, treatment is more definitely conducive and beneficial for our addicts in prison. You know, I've sent um, correctional officers to treatment, multiple correctional officers, police officers to treatment. And, um, you know, I can hope and pray that they're not bringing um, their, you know, drugs that they're using into our prisons, but we have to be real and keep it real. And the truth of the matter is, is that could be how it's getting into our prisons. And, uh, you know, the inmates have no way to go out and jump the wall, uh, especially at high security facilities, to get anything. So if their habit is being dealt with, the tragedy of that is coming from those who have been put in a position to protect and to ensure safety of inmates that are in prison. Uh, that's the, that's a tragedy all on its own. Absolutely. And, um, tell the folks how they can get a hold of you, Stephanie. Again, we're going to be discussing the IRP6 here shortly. But regarding this issue, if folks want to get a hold of you. I could be reached anytime, day or night, 24-7, directly on my work cell phone. So it'll come directly to me. Um, a family member could call in in regards to um, a loved one that they are worried about. It could be the addict. It could be I anybody. Um, I could be reached anytime, 24-7, at 720-305-2621. Um, I can help you, provide you information. Uh, I, I'll, you know, do whatever you need to help your loved one um, help themselves. No, absolutely. And again, the organization, the Shores uh, Treatment and Recovery uh, Organization, doing some big things. I believe a very well-respected organization. Absolutely, uh, it is. I, you know, when I first walked in there, I've been in probably. 15 to 20 different treatment centers in the country. And I walked into the shores um, and, and I, I was just blown away. It was just the most remarkable, um, just very private, quaint. And the owner, I mean, the owner is, I'll put it out there. He's my hero. Everything that he's done to benefit the lives of others and everything. It's, it's just a, an amazing, very family oriented, friendly program oh that's awesome that's, that's where awesome. i would send my kids if my kids battled substance abuse and there is a genetic factor so one day and you know i might be you know going down that road i would send my kids i would to the shores treatment and recovery in wow. port st Lucie, florida well that speaks volumes uh to the organization to your belief when you entrust your kids into a organization that you say i'm that confident that the vision of change and the vision of help is there, uh, it doesn't get any better than that. And, uh, Stephanie, we appreciate you taking time with us tonight to share your story uh, and to get involved with uh, helping other people. Cliff, I'll tell you what, uh, we're going to do everything we can as an organization uh, to be a part of this. Uh, as an advocate, advocates come together to make differences, and that's what we've done. I can tell you right now, Stephanie, we're going to look in the future – uh, for a part two of this show, uh, and hopefully we can get Judge Cox on here uh, to, to share what motivated her 
to see Cameron in a situation, she has to be blown away at the change that, look, treatment does work. Incarceration is not the answer. Absolutely. 110%. And Judge Cox is an amazing woman, an amazing woman. That's awesome. You you actually had an opportunity to talk with her? No, or? I haven't. I just I have not. But next time I'm out there, I definitely will um, would love to if Cameron's OK with that. I mean, just yeah. the fact that she looks, you know, she doesn't judge. She doesn't discriminate. Sure. And she does what's right. Well, and, I, I think you speak from the fact of what you've seen happen to Cameron. At, oh, to ab- say, I mean, her actions apparently were big enough to make a change in that life. That's awesome. She she is to contribute, I strongly believe, in helping Cameron save her life. Definitely. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to turn the page. Ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you uh, for listening to this tonight. Tell your friends about it. The Shores Treatment Recovery, uh, AJC Radio now just calls, involved with the fight of addiction and the injustice uh, that has blown this studio away tonight. I'll tell you what. We're going to definitely be on, on board uh, we're going to give you an invitation. Stand to for more information on Let's Talk second Tuesday in March. Stephanie King will be live in person with several other people that will have a message of why this is important to make America and our communities informed uh, about what's going on. Right now, we turn the page to what you didn't know about the IRP6. It starts right now. Just Cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the IRP-6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to. Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. The RP6, David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo, and Clinton Stewart have pondered that question, where is justice? What you didn't know about the IRP-6 case is the question. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, It became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys, Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted, and this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen 
that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? Therapy six and countless thousands are seeking her out. What you didn't know about the RP6 story to be continued. The RP6, who are they? Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Hopper. David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. But those are not the only victims of injustice. The families, the children, the pastor, the church members, the employers have become victims of an injustice. Cliff, as we begin to deal with this issue, let me first start with what is a victim? A person harmed, injured, or killed as a result of a crime, accident, or other event or action. One that is acted on and usually adversely affected by a force or an agent. One that is injured, destroyed, or sacrificed under any of various conditions. Is subjected to oppression, hardship, or mistreatment. One that is tricked or duped by a system. I would say the IRP-6 are victims of injustice. Cliff, yes. your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I totally um, agree. Because you look at the situation, like I, meant, I mentioned before, you're talking about a debt collection case where men go into business. They say, hey, we're, we're basically uh, marketing, building, and trying to sell a product. Um, this product was for the betterment of, of our country for the service to the U.S. government to say, we want to ensure that another 9-11 never happens. And you end up with, uh, you know, these men being basically co- falsely convicted on a debt collection case, which, I mean, we, we've had, and it's not just us saying this. I mean, we've had right. several judicial professionals. I mean, retired federal judge H. Lee Sarakin several other uh you know state legislators we've had people who worked in congress for uh for years even a couple decades that says you know this is not a criminal case there is no crime this is debt these are men who owed money because they uh went into debt building a product that was uh you know with requirements laid out by department of homeland security to say this is the product that we need to ensure that the country is safe and then they go out to build that product and the same government that they go out to serve comes and attacks them, uh, you know, and ends up falsely convicting them for absolutely nothing. I mean, when, when right. you have form, former prosecutors and former judges that, that look at the entire transcript, that look at the entire case and say, I am trying to find the crime. What judge took this up? How did this ever make it into court? But then you look at... Uh, Judge Christine Arguello, you look at the things that she did, the things that she said at trial, and you say, okay, uh, you know, a lot of times with, with every crime that, that they say a person commits, you know, they, they conspire to do this crime, they premeditate it. 
this is a conspiracy against the IRP6 by the federal system, by this judge, Christine Arguello, by the prosecutor, assistant U.S. attorney, Matthew Kirsch. Looking at the transcript lays all this and, and bears it to be true, is that the, they are the victims in this situation. You're talking about men who, who set out to serve their country to say we want to ensure that, that uh, 9-11 never, ever happens again, and we will use our skills, we will use our talent to ensure that that doesn't happen. And their government came against them and falsely uh, prosecuted. Stephanie, you had an opportunity to read some of the letters from the families. Your thoughts as we talk about this issue, the victims, the children, the wives, the I mean, what did those letters say to you? It's it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, I mean, especially this time of year, close to the holidays and stuff, you know, these innocent people are sitting, you know, behind bars away from their families. And I mean, it, it's just, it's devastating. It's devastating. And, and I'll tell you what, until I read the definition of victim, it meets every criteria what the IRP6 have suffered and their families and their friends have suffered. And it says here, I, th- I thought this was interesting, it is subjected to oppression, hardship, or mistreatment of these individuals. That's exactly what happened. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned every uh, Tuesday and Thursday evening for what you didn't know about the IRP6. Very special thanks to Stephanie King. Stephanie, thank you so much. You have informed me, uh, our staff here, as well as countless people across this country who have heard your story tonight, and we're going to continue to be a force for that. Thank you, Lamont. It was a pleasure being here. And remember, um, everyone out there listening, that help is just a phone call away. Thank you so much. This is AJC Radio. Cliff? Yes, I want to say thank you to our crew, to our production crew, uh, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson of K&D Productions. Also, I want to say thank you to Ill Skiller Girls, helping them out in control in the control room. I want to say thank you to our production support team. They give us accurate and up-to-date information so that we can provide that to you. And to the truth, we know you're out there, and we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio signing off as we kick off 2017. Stand by. It's going to be a good year. This is AJC Radio. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and a very special thanks to Stephanie King, Cameron Wattsworth as well. We appreciate what you're doing. We'll see you next time here on AJC Radio. Good night, America. Good night. The idiocy of the war on drugs is bankrupting our cities, destroying our inner, our, our inner cities, our inner city culture. In fact, we're investing a fortune in training young black men on prison culture that they then return to cities to bring into the inner city. So I guess if you're in the, into the idea of investing a small fortune in rotting your country from its core, then sure, throw drug addicts in jail. But if you actually rational understand that drug abuse is a public health problem, not a criminal problem, then you would eliminate the... My mother was a smoker. She smoked her whole life. She was addicted to nicotine. She started when she was 16 years old. 
which was 1948. But by the time 1964 came, the Surgeon General's report came out, and she was in her mid-30s, she knew that smoking was bad for you. And I tell you, I watched her as a kid growing up. She tried everything she could to quit. She had the gum, the patches, hypnosis. She tried everything. She couldn't quit. Now, when she turned 71, a little after that, she was diagnosed with lung cancer. No one came to me and said, don't treat her because she got what she deserved. Smoking, we know. But no one came to me and said, hey, listen, your mother was dumb. She started smoking when she was 16. Then after we told her it was bad for her, she kept doing it. So we're not going to give her chemo.